0: Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Diary of a Security Consultant, uh, the show where we talk all things security consultancy in Ireland and all things security industry. Uh, We've been away a couple of weeks, this is our first show back in two weeks and I am finally getting around to doing the third and final part in the arrest procedure for retail security operative series. So we're on to part three, which is the actual making of the arrest, which is probably the bit that most people came from in the first place. we have been really busy as you can see we're out today kind of more low profile today but uh, we've been really busy and haven't got around to it but we are finally getting around to this one we've got our reasonable enforcement coming up next week for today's one, we're going to finish off part two of our arrest procedure which adds on to the uh, ace going which we did at the beginning so if you remember in the last part we were talking about preparation for an arrest and we've done all our preparations and we talked about our risk controls and now we're actually going to talk about walking outside that door and stepping in front of a suspected shoplifter. Now, I say suspected shoplifter. I wouldn't be stepping in front of him if I just suspected him. I'd be 100% certain that this person has stolen something. But in the eyes of the law, until that person is convicted in court, they're a suspected shoplifter. So I refer to them all the way through as the suspect. You know, you can refer to them as the, the offender, but for the purposes of, of this, I refer to them either as the suspect or the offender yeah so where we were last week i'll share a quick screen with you we spoke about uh there we go arrest just being a single tool in the toolbox of options so again i'll go back to arrest is just that single tool just because you can make that arrest does not mean you have to make that arrest safety 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 um and going back again to some things i mentioned last week about long walking arrest is not a long walking activity just uh, earlier on today uh, in ireland in kildare there was a security guard stabbed uh, by a shoplifter i don't know the exact details of that whether they were on their own or not but they were going out i'll repeat it again if you're walking in security on your own in a retail store you should not be making arrests nobody's saying you're not capable of doing it all I am saying is that you should not be doing. There is no way, in my experience, and I've done a lot of risk assessment over there, of safely risk assessing solo arrests. And you might say, well, I've got a cashier with me or a supervisor with me. That is not adequate. You need a trained, competent person with you in order to justify a risk assessment. You know, Otherwise, you're putting your own safety in danger. Probably your policy will say you shouldn't be doing it on your own. and your company will turn around and try and wash their hands of you because they'll say, well, risk assessment said you should have done it on your own, you know, so you need to look after your own safety first. But now, like we said, we've made a decision, we have our safety, we've done our dynamic risk assessment, we have our preparation, and we're actually going to walk outside and step in front of this shoplifter. And it's a big step. I remember my first one, and had all the words rehearsed in my head and everything was going well. I was like 17, 18, walking in a small toy shop, Guy stole a video game had it rehearsed, everything was in my head, knew my lines, knew where I wanted to stand, where I wanted to step, and this was stuff I'd figured out in my own head and researched, it wasn't something I was ever taught. Stepped in front of the guy, absolutely froze, couldn't remember what to say, and just basically shouted at him to come back inside and was able to to stop him, okay? Uh, So don't think it's gonna go perfectly every time. Everyone makes mistakes. Now, probably 1,500 arrests later, uh, it just kind of comes as second nature. I've been probably directly or indirectly involved in probably well over 1,000, maybe 1,500. Um, but I suppose when it comes to dealing with that with that arrest, safety comes first, and you you will make mistakes under stress. So bear those things in mind because everything goes right in rehearsal. So it doesn't mean it's going to go right in the day. Now, that's not to frighten people. The, in my experience, the vast majority of people who you walk out in front of you step in front of and you stop, will comply. There's embarrassment, there's shame, they've been caught and they know they're caught or they know the system and they game the system, they just wanna walk back in and get this over and done with very, very quickly. But we have to prepare as if everyone is going to be high risk. You cannot just assume somebody's going to be low risk. So when we're going out there, we have to assume that this could go bad and make those preparations and have those safety mechanisms in place so we're going to talk a little bit about the, the approach we've walked outside the door we have our support person necklace i'm going to talk firstly about the uh, how a poor approach might work and, and how i've seen poor approaches work uh, for those of you watching on youtube you can see this slide popping up here in front of you for those uh, who are listening on the podcast i'm going to try to put this into words so generally what i see is you will have the offender come walking out the door and head in a direction doesn't matter where that's left or right And what I see very often is the security operative and their support coming around to the front, as they should, and standing next to each other and blocking that person's exit. Now there's two poor things here, I'd say. Fourthly, coming around to the front and standing together. Standing together, kind of shoulder to shoulder, less than a meter apart, let's just say, and blocking that person's exit. If you can think psychologically what's going on in this person's head. The fright, the stress, high stress situation, fight or flight is going off. Bang, two guys step in front of them or going, girls step in front of them, bang, you're in front of them, stop, you're not going anywhere. Fight or flight, limbic response, boom, adrenal response, fight or flight. Force response, flight. They look around, where's the flight option? Path is blocked. Response number two, only option left, fight. So we trigger that fight response in people by blocking their path. Option number two. Our problem number two, after we've blocked our path, we then both stand directly in front of them, making it nice and easy for a person to attack both of us at the same time. So our support is effectively useless for just two people being attacked. It can get even worse than that, in that I've seen the offender walking directly out the door and the security staff coming up behind them and uh, approaching from the back and trying to stop them which is a definite trigger when they turn around the so open space in front of them to go for that and it turns into a chase type situation with them having the, the advantage. So what we see here in the graphic, for those of you who are watching, is that the security operatives have walked around to the front and they're blocking this guy. And the problem with that, we walked around to the front, we've, put the, we've blocked the guy's route, so he has no flight option, all he has is a fight option. Talking about our risks and our preparations from last week, if the guy does become aggressive, If the guy has friends, if the guy has a weapon, we've now put the person and potentially their friends between the security operatives and the safety of their store. We now have to get back through this guy or around this guy to get back, which is a huge issue. Visually then also by stepping around to the front and, and blocking this guy's exit is potentially we've put ourselves in the sandwich. We can see the guy in front of us, but we can't see what's behind us. Neither of us because we're both facing the person. So that's a poor approach or some risks associated with the approach. We'll talk now a little bit about well, what would be a better approach. So the same principle, again, for those of you watching on YouTube, you will see this graphic. For those of you listening on the podcast, I'm not sure they do a good job of explaining it. So the person walks out the door, they step out that door. The security staff and their support comes out behind they take a wide angle they come around and they step to the front but instead of stepping directly in front of the person and to a a, a, in a blocking position we would take up what we call probably uh, if the guy is facing 12 o'clock we would call a 10 and 2 position so the lead person is at the person's two o'clock the support person at the 10 o'clock position or vice versa and what we're looking to create is this triangle With the the suspect or the offender at the point of the triangle and the two lower uh, limbs, often a V-shape facing in front of them. So what have we done here? One, we split the focus. Two, limbic response, fight or flight, they can at least see a flight option. Now because we're in this V-shape, we're not standing together. If the person chooses to flee, we show them a route down the middle but that doesn't mean we're going to allow them to take that room. If the person becomes violent, we may allow them to take that route, but it has that the offender or the suspect concentrating on the flight room. But if they choose to take that flight room, it's very simple to close that V in with a simple step and block that route or to allow the person to leave if we choose. Also, because we're at that V position, I can watch my colleague's back and he can watch my back or she can watch my back. We've got a field of vision that covers each other. So we're covering each other's field of vision. If the person becomes violent, reaches for a weapon or friends start to approach, because we're in that V shape, we've established that we can both find a secure route back to the point of safety without going through the offender. We can still maintain that arc around the offender. The final thing is, if the offender does decide to become violent, and we're in this V position, 10 and two, he can only attack one of us. Because we're spread. So the second person is in a good position then to intervene and be a support person, take out a radio call for help, get on a phone, or physically intervene and help. You know? So by taking up adopting this position where we come round to the front, stay offset to the sides and even our stance and our body language. So for me, I'm not sure I show this on camera, but talking through it then. I suppose from the podcast point of view, I would always try and step off sides. I know the camera's going gone quite over. here. Stay off in a bladed stance, keep my hands out at a distance, try and maintain that, that arm's length between me and the person. Uh, speak very clearly to the person, quite uh, assertive on what I'm doing, but I can see my colleague off to the side at all times. So I'm watching my colleague as much as I'm watching myself. So I'll adopt that stance. My hands are out already, I can reach my radio uh, with my. With my strong hand to get the radio and still keep that out there. I can, if the person goes to move, I can grab at the bag or I can choose to step across and stop the, stop the person. So I'm not standing square on, and neither is my my colleague. We're both in a support position for each other, and we're potentially in a blocking or in a, uh, an evading position, depending on where what we decide to do. But again, communication between us is key. We've decided on the way out who's the lead. Generally, the person who's seen all the evidence is the lead you know, and their job is to communicate. The support person's job is to watch their back as they go out. Mm-hmm. So then we move to the ward and we walked up, we know who's in charge, the lead person is doing the communicating. So I will walk up and my general acronym is three O's, identify, inform, invoice. So first things first, I'm gonna step up to the guy, I've keep my arms distance, I'll establish that I'm the person communicating, I'll make eye contact with the person, and in a very assertive tone of voice, I clearly identify myself as security from the shop. I won't give a name. I'm not looking for, hi, I'm John, I'm Sagittarius, so like long walks on the beach and you're under arrest for shoplifting. It's very simply, uh, I am security from whatever shop. morphy Supermarket, Sentra, Tesco's, Smith's, it doesn't matter, you know. I am security from, inform them. Why have we stopped them? We are, and this is very clear, we are arresting you for theft now i know lots of people that don't like using the word arrest it's a silly argument they say detain they say stop i would say there's a discrepancy which you are arresting them there's no getting away from that there's no detaining there's no asking nicely to come back inside the shop if you prevent a person from leaving in their head they have been arrested and they are entitled to know why that is the law there's no we believe there might be a problem with your purchase Please return to the shop for me. We believe there we need to discuss purchases in your bag. None of that. We are arresting. I am arresting you for theft. You can say detain, you can say stopping, but it is arrest. You're arresting me. You need to be quite clear with people. They cannot leave. We're not inviting them, not asking them. We are telling them. We, I am arresting you for theft. And then we're gonna invite them back to the store. Now, bear in mind what your power of arrest is. This is an invite, not a command. I'm going to ask them to return to the store. Power of arrest says that I can prevent a person leaving. I can restrain them from their liberty until I can hand them to the guards. So I can hold them at the scene of the crime where I've stopped them. There is nothing in the law that allows a security person or any other person other than the guards to physically force a person to return back inside the shop. Nothing in the law. It says I can hold them. So we can ask that person back inside the shop. But if they refuse to go, we hold them on the street. That's what the law says. That's as far as we're allowed to go. There is nothing, and I repeat again, nothing in law that allows you to bring that person forcibly back inside your shop. Nothing. And you need to be quite clear about that. Because that, I've done it before when I was less educated about this sort of stuff. I've seen it happen so many times, but there is nothing in law that allows you. So we're going to ask them and sometimes if and will comply no issues they want to get back in off the street sometimes you're going to get uh, I don't want to go back inside I haven't done anything wrong you know I generally go to my conflict management as I said my options proposed at that point might try something along the lines of listen we don't want to see you being arrested in the street it's embarrassing for you it's embarrassing for us okay so we'd prefer if we discuss this inside the shop where we can see what we can sort out do you want to step back inside the shop me? And we're going to try all of our tactics while still not letting them leave. Now, people say, well, what if they try to just walk away? Now, now we're back to that. What does your policy say? The law says, Non-Fatal Offences Against the Person Act, Section 19, that I can use reasonable force to effect a lawful arrest and prevent a person from leaving the scene in Ukraine. But that will depend on what my store's policy says. Does my store want me to do this? Do they want me to use physical force? Some stores will say if it becomes physical, you back off we lose the stock you know other stores will say no you have the right we've given you the training we trust you go use whatever you need to do whatever is reasonable in the circumstances so can you use force to stop a person believing absolutely the law supports you as long as that force is reasonable and you can justify it in the circumstances we'll talk about that in a week or two but what is your store's policy is important because I don't want to see anybody using force, legally being correct in doing so, and then getting sacked because their store says, Well, actually, you breached our policy. That's a breach of your contract, we're getting rid of you know, So I'm going to identify myself, inform the person clearly of why we stopped them, and invite them back to the store. So, my very simple lines I am security from, I'm a rescue for, I want you to. None of this. I want to look in the bag, we're not searching, no powers of search, and nothing that allows you to search anyone. None of this, uh, we believe there might be a discrepancy, blah, 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 that line is written, that manual for so long. I've seen it for the last 12, 10 years at least, and it hasn't made any more sense to me since, I think the line used to be, I believe there may be a discrepancy with your purchase, you please accompany me back to the store, so we could just Absolute rubbish. By the time you get to the word discrepancy, there are 50 yards down the road, it's ridiculous. Uh, I am security from, I am arresting you for, I want you to. That is it. Legally speaking, the person is entitled to be told the reason for their arrest at the point of their arrest or as soon as it's practical afterwards. So if they run off, as soon as it's practical afterwards. So now we're into the walk back. Formation for this, I say, as the lead, I always like to be next to the person. The position that I will generally take up as I walk back with the person is, I will stay, whatever side I'm on, I will stay slightly behind their elbow line, you know, to the side of them, slightly behind their elbow line, and I'll usually place my hand in what I call a cradle, it's like that C shape, yeah, at the back of their elbow, without touching them, I'll just keep my hand in position. My other hand is out in front and it's pointing in the direction that I want them to travel. So I'm pointing them in the direction I want them to go, and my hand is controlling your elbow in case that elbow lashes out or swings at me. I want my hand in a position to, to control it. My support person, where I want them. Different people have different thoughts. Some people say you want them behind on the other side or behind on the other side. Um, my personal preference is to put the support person slightly in front. And I want the support person walking kind of sideways, if you know what I mean. So they're walking sideways, they're looking back at me and they're. So that I can be saying to the, the person on the way back, okay, we're gonna walk in here, we're gonna walk into this office, just keep an eye on my colleague there, just follow where he or she goes, and we'll just walk straight in nice and quietly. Nobody has to know any different. And we're trying to so all the way back on this walk and communicating, just walk, watch where my colleague goes. We'll all just keep nice and quiet, though. We'll walk back inside, nobody's touching it, and we we'll go in the office. You know. So positioning, that's just my personal preference. If you prefer to have your colleague next to you, that's completely up to you. Like I said, my personal preference is to stand offset to one side, slightly behind the person's elbow line and keep my hand in that position just behind their arm and my lead hand pointing in the direction I want them to go. But all the way back and communicating because they're probably talking, why are we going in here? I haven't done anything. That's absolutely fine. We've talked about that inside. Just watch where my colleague goes, follow my colleague, give them something to concentrate on. It's absolutely fine. We'll speak to you about that inside. Just watch where my colleague goes and keep it to that. And that's my preferred uh, approach. Again, every time they stop, we stop. I don't wanna go before that's it's absolutely fine. We can stand here in the middle of the shop, if you like. Stand here in the middle of the shop and wait for the guards. Don't ever forget, the, the guards is always your trump card. Whether you know they're not gonna be there for an hour and a half or whether you think it's gonna be there in half an hour, the guards are out, as soon as you get non-compliance, that's absolutely fine, guards. Whether it's to try and run outside, that's absolutely fine, we we'll would hold you here, guards. Whether it's you don't want to walk the whole way back in, that's absolutely fine. We'll stop right here in the middle of the shop and we'll wait for the guards. As soon as you get non-compliance guards, you introduce it. And the same in the post-arrest procedure. So we're going to go back. Ideally, a lot of large retailers, what we would like to have is a dedicated holding room. Now, that is a luxury. A lot of large retailers will have that. A lot of smaller retailers will not. And as we mentioned in the last one, if you don't have a safe room to bring somebody back into, don't bring them back into it. You know, don't put yourself at risk. If you have a relatively safe room and the three things that I look for in a holding room is safety, security, and suitability. So safety, no mad desks or scissors or phones that could hit me with. Security, door opens freely, has light, CCTV in it, stuff like that. And then suitability. Is the room big enough? And I would say for a minimum of four people, because we're going to talk, there's going to have to be two of us, one of them, And a guard. That's a minimum of four people, comfortably to stand in there for a period of time. You know. So ideally, we're going to bring them back in. And for those of you watching on YouTube, I've got this side view of a holding room here. My ideal setup and how we work with clients to set them up: holding room, empty room, bench in the corner, bolted to the wall. If you have a front on it, blocking off it, all the better. But it's angled down to the front. Panic alarm, CCTV camera. That's really all you need in your holding room. And they're kind of prerequisite criteria somebody produces a knife and am going to hit the panic alarm and bail out you know so when we walk in you always let the offender walk in first is what i would say we follow in and myself and my colleague will take up a position at the door but not blocking the door first thing i'll always do is i'll offer the suspect a seat just take a seat over there for me if you don't mind and again i'm courteous i'm nice You will, as a fella says to me one day, you will catch more bees with honey than you ever will with a stick. You know? So, sit down, take a seat if you don't mind. If you don't mind, grab a seat over there. We'll get started. Not sit. Don't tell me what to do. Sit. Don't tell. And then you're into an argument. Do me a favor. Take a seat over there if you don't mind. Why do I want them seated? A couple of reasons. Harder to lunge at me. Takes a little bit of pressure out of the situation. And it's harder to access pockets and stuff from a seated position than it is when you're stood our position like i said we're going to move over towards the door we're going to stand each side of the door or closer to the door than the person is depending on the layout of the room one thing i picked up quite early in my career that, that kind of worked out for me over the years was um i always like to if i can depending on where the room is if it's facing away from uh, the sales floor or the floor where the customers can see, I'll, I'll try and get the door open just, just so it's not that locked in, confined feeling. Bring him in or her in, take a seat, whatever the case might be. Take a seat there, we'll get started. And again, lead doing the communicating, support there to watch my back. And we'll go into a little bit of detail now. The reason why you're in here. Okay, like I said to you outside, I'm security here in the shop. And the reason why you're in here is because I've seen you take. Whatever item I've seen them take, and be very specific, I've seen you take a bottle of whiskey from the shelf in the alcohol section, put it in that pocket, and leave the shop without paying for it. And you can use your Ace Gone uh, thing here if you want. So I've seen you walk into the alcohol section, you've seen you pick up a bottle of Powers Whiskey, or Turkey Euro, might not know the value at this stage. You've concealed it in your bag, you've walked around, and you've left the shop without paying for it, and that's why we arrest you. And you can be nice about, well, oh, look, we've watched in the shop, you've put an item in your bag, you haven't paid for the item, and you've left the shop. So that's the reason why you're in here. Now we get to one where kind of branches, different shops with different policies. And the guards will have a different kind of outlook sometimes on this than I would, and some guards wouldn't, some guards wouldn't. Some people say it's better to say, look, you know the item's there, tell them to just leave it where it is, and the guard can find it on them when they get there. You know, so that's definite proof. You know, they still have it on it. And you're not asking them to reach into pockets or bags because you don't know what they're going to take out. And that's a very fair point. And if that's your policy, then absolutely go with that. The other uh, way of looking at that for retrieval is, well, I want to get the goods back. Why? I want the goods out of their possession as quick as I can. So if the person at some point does decide to become aggressive or violent or bolt, then at least we've got the goods back. That's not the end of the world. So if they're in a bag, I would say, okay, the goods are in that bag. Would you mind just leaving the bag over there away from yourself? Just leave them in the bag. I'm going to leave the goods in the bag, you know? Or if they have it in a, inside a jacket, just take the jacket off, leave it over there if you don't mind. Now search, we don't have the powers to search. Uh, very rarely, and I've done this in the past, would you ask for a consent to search? But I stay away from that if I can. I used to do that when I was younger. It's a city, city route to go down. You just. Adding risk and danger in by searching people's possessions, I think you know. Uh, so I'm gonna to try and retrieve the items. Okay, do me if favor, just leave the bag over there if you don't mind, out of harm's way, nobody's touching it, and it's fine, you know. Details again, two trains of thought on this. Some people would say, GDPR, you shouldn't be taking their details. If you do, you have to give them all the day. and you're right, you know, and you can't do that. You know, you can just go look, I'm not taking the details, don't need the details. You know, because if the guards, guards are going to come get them and get their details from the guards, so it's, it's relevant, don't need to take them. Other people, and like myself, will probably say, okay, take out a notebook, let's get a few details. And people say GDPR. GDPR absolutely allows you to gather personal data for the purpose of law enforcement. It's, it's, it's very clear. Uh, as long as you keep that data safe and you tell the person for what it's been used for. Okay, listen, I just need to get a couple of details from our report and we're going to keep the uh, we need to keep you details about the incident okay so first of all would you mind if I got your name off your this not giving you my name that's absolutely fine you don't have to give me your name and they don't they do not you any details you don't have to give me your name but unfortunately I'm gonna to have to contact the guys so. now and that's that's the route for them uh, name address date of birth nothing more you know if they have ID and they present it perfect but I wouldn't go looking for it if it's a, if it's a real name Fantastic if it's a fake name, you have a name for your report, and the guard's going to give you a real name anyway. And then it comes to decision time. You know, now the law on arrest, like I said to you guys before, clearly says that once you arrest them, you should transfer them into the custody of a guard. That's what completes the arrest. But there are exceptions to that. So, for example, uh, there might be health safety concerns, the person might get aggressive or violent. There might be human rights concerns around the length of time that the guards are going to be coming under detention. Or there might be other pressing concerns like a person has health issues, mental health issues, etc. etc. that you have to take into account. The person's age, stuff like that. You know? So the decision comes in, it'll be based on time of day, number of security, length of time waiting for the guards, the profile of the person, and obviously the value, and we're making a decision. But let's just say the decision in this case is to contact the guards. My general look on this is not for me to pull out a phone and call the guards. It's for you, some kind of a coded thing to manage a river. Mm-hmm. Take out my phone. Just going to ring and let the manager know about the incident. Hello, is that the manager's office Yeah. Could you ask Mr. Brown to come to the security office, please? And the person on the other end of that phone knows that Mr. Brown is a call sign for call the guards, please. You know? And could you call me back and let me know when he's on the way? So they bring me back. Yeah, this is the office. Mr. Brown's on the way. Thanks very much. Off we go. I know another no guys guards are on the way. So we'll wait a little while. You can't ask questions because that's custody. There's a thing in Ireland that covers custody called judge's rules, and it's about questioning a suspect about a crime. And we have no authority to question a person unless they have been cautioned. They've been given the caution. You know, the police caution that the police give, you know, you're going to have to say, something. out of our realm, we don't intend to gather any evidence. We don't need to gather any evidence. We already have the evidence, so we don't need to question them. We just need to sit there, sit tight. And we might been, there's no point in line people say oh don't tell them the guards are on the way they know the guards are on the way well let's be we sitting here for so i would generally say listen guards are on the way i just don't want to spike the adrenaline at the point of calling the guards but I'll put them in i'll sit down and say listen fortunately in this case we're going to have to contact the guards they'll be here in the next whatever the, the office person has told me 20 minutes half an hour yeah We've just got to sit tight to them and stay nice and relaxed and when they get there they'll decide what happens next okay and that's as far as we go now Guards are right, guard walks in the door, first things is forced, I always identify myself to the guard as the person in charge. How's it going, guard? Tony here from security. I've arrested this person for stealing and this, what we've seen this person walk in, whatever, whatever. The guard will usually look for your details first as you're the victim of a crime or you're representing the victim of a crime. One thing I picked up very quickly uh, early on is that I always have a little post-it, a couple of little post-it notes inside my notebook. And I'll have my name, address, contact number on that so I can just hand it to the guards rather than me saying it out in front of the the suspect. Generally, I try to use the address and phone number for the shop rather than uh, my own personal one, if I can at all, or for the company or whatever the case may be. So the guard will take my details. They'll go and they'll take their details, the person's, the suspect's details. uh, And then they will decide what to do. And it's a guard decision what to do. Sometimes the guards will arrest the person, bring them back to the station and they'll go through the station bail process. Other times, the guards will verify their ID, take out their radio, call back to make sure there's no outstanding warrants for them. And if they're happy that they have their name and address, they will bring them outside, release them, and summons them to court if they are going to go to court, or they may be eligible for the, for the caution scheme. Uh, as the person's leaving, I always get my what I call a remover of invitation. So as the person's leaving, I say, sorry, Gad just to let the Mr. Murphy or whatever the person's name is, that you're no longer welcome inside the store. And if you enter the store again, you'll be treated as a trespasser. So the person they'll know is they're no longer welcome in the, in the shop. Gary will then take them outside and off they'll go and, and release them. Couple of things that might be a little bit variable in there. Uh, gender is an important one. You know, uh, 94% of the Irish security industry is male. Uh, and I think at the last statistic that I heard 68 percent of people caught shoplifting are women, uh, women. So there's a big gender difference. If we are a male shoplifter arresting a female or a male security person uh, arresting a female shoplifter or vice versa, uh, female security person arresting a male, then general variables would suggest that our support colleagues should be the same gender as the person. Nothing in law that says that. Just best practice. We're not doing it to protect the person we're doing it to protect us. There can be no accusations. There can be no physical assault or sexual assault or things that were said or done that were inappropriate. And if I'm a male security guard and I'm bringing out a female colleague, a manager, a supervisor to support me, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for them to physically support me. All I want them to do is stand there as a witness. And I want them as a witness, as a woman or a man and the gender that they're there, is to be able to say that yes I saw Tony in this case arrest this person this woman you know and how he treated her was fine with me as a woman or as a man as the case might be and then when you go back to the holding room we'd always make sure that the female member staff remains in the holding room until the guys get there and again that's a protection for us you know children people under the age of 18 we have to bear in mind the uh, Children Force Act uh, that you know, children under the edge of criminal responsibility, you're not going to be charged anyway. Uh, generally, I would deal with that by taking the stuff back off the roadside of the shop and not arresting in the first place, you know, uh, or deterrence, if at all possible. Uh, thing to remember with kids is, I suppose, that decision making, like I said, there will be sometimes where you will make a decision based on cost or value or time or safety to release the person. Never, ever, ever do that with a kid. You always hand the kid over into the capable custody of somebody else, preferably, you know, guardie, you know, as it might be, or if it's a, you know, a time pressure or safety pressure to a parent or guardian to come collect them. And I have done that in the past. Even though the law will say, you know, hand them over to a capable guard, you know, that's you have to transfer custody to the guards to, to finish off this arrest properly. You know, there will be circumstances where you've got a 13, 14, 12-year-old kid, you know who you've had to bring back in because they wouldn't give you the stuff back. You're Again, I would always try and have a female colleague with me regardless of the gender of the child in there. I think just to protect myself, I would bring them back in. I would always try and get a contact detail for a parent, call a parent, you're gonna to have to come and collect your kid from the from the shop, or we contact the guards. You know? uh, children are vulnerable adults with additional needs, uh, special needs, learning difficulties, mental health difficulties, stuff like that, again, treat it with an extra little bit of caution, I'll try not to arrest, treat it as a support, it's a healthcare issue rather than a, excuse me, rather than a, um, a crime issue in most cases. Uh, it's more of an education issue this and you can't bring this outside the shop, etc., etc. and you deal with it like that, but you certainly wouldn't be arresting. Uh, and in groups, um, I suppose we have more than one shoplifter. One, if it's one person brings stuff out the other person's with them, the other person, I suppose it's very difficult to prove they committed a crime. I would always stop the person who has taken stuff. The other person doesn't necessarily have to come back inside. Uh, We're not arresting that other person. Uh, On the other side of things, my general thing with groups is if there's any more than two, I won't arrest in general. I'll retrieve the stuff, certainly, I'll use deterrence, I'll retrieve stuff outside, get a recovery, whatever the case might be, but I won't bring them back inside the shop. Worst case scenario, hold them. Try and hold them on the street. You bear in mind, if there's two of them, it needs three of us. I'd be very lucky to have three capable people. Never mind three security. If there, and we're tying up three people now from this shop for the next X amount of time. If there's three of them, it needs four of us, and that's almost impossible. And think of where we're going to bring them. How many rooms do you have in your premises or in your shop that can safely hold three to four, say two of them and three of us, five, six people with the guards. You know, Gets very tight, so either they retrieves the stuff outside or hold them outside on the street for the guards, depending on the on the circumstances. So finally, we're coming back in again. Uh, we're going to look at our CCTV protocols. I would also say get the stuff downloaded as quick as you can, get it signed, sealed, get your GDPR conditions attached, uh, and then hand it into evidence, whether that's to the guard or into a secure place as quick as you can. You're going to sit down. You're going to use the notes that you took in your notebook. That's the value of your contemporaneous notes to compile your incident report. And then preserve any evidence, depending on what the guards want. Sometimes the guards will take away the evidence. Sometimes they'll tell you to put it back into stock. And sometimes they will tell you, look, hold that evidence for court, you know, depending on what it is. But make sure that you keep that because it'd be, it'd be an absolute waste of time to get all the hard work, the approach, the waiting, the time that you spend waiting on the guards. And then lose a court case because you've lost a piece of evidence, made a mistake in your report, or you haven't provided the CCTV so in general that was a very very quick overview of the final the arrest procedure what actually happens when you go out and stop the person i hope you found the series informative uh, if you have any questions on it feel free to uh, send them in uh, this week later on we have another video coming out just to catch up on what i've been doing and then next week is going to be our reasonable force webinar uh, which is talking about the principles of reasonable force similar format and similar layout to this should take about an hour uh, so if you have any questions on your recipes you agree disagree have any comments feel free to get in touch as always otherwise thank you very much for listening I appreciate it i know the series itself has been an hour and a half at this stage probably so thank you very much for everyone that's read in, sent in the comments asked questions and stuff like that if that you want me to cover on this area in the in, the, in more detail please feel free to get in touch till next week thank you very much for everything and i'll see you guys next week on the next week's video